I'm really excited about the series we're in, and it's simply entitled How to Live a Meaningful Life. And we'll, we'll be covering a number of topics as we've already started on one or two already. But it, it's about being connected to God's purpose through the local church. And I would say to you unequivocally that you cannot actually live a meaningful life in the context of fulfilling all that God has for you if you're not involved and connected to a local church. And I think what, one of the things that is happening across, particularly the Western world, that the church has kind of got a little bit of an identity crisis because of all the different things that are going on and certain people's attitudes towards the church and their demeaning comments and all the rest of it. But the church is at the very centre of God's plan and purpose on planet earth. Salvation is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. The church will not save you in the eternal sense, but the church, your connection to it is one of the primary ways you outwork God's purpose in your life and live a meaningful life. And today we're going to look at an aspect of generosity and it's going to go far beyond financial stuff. It's a whole heart attitude. And one of the most radical things we can do, countercultural things we can do, is actually be connected to a local church. And I kind of know I'm preaching to the choir this morning because you're here or you've connected with us in the online campus. But the big idea is in terms of Jesus launching the church, the called out ones, and gathering together when we do, and then going out as the church into our everyday, is that we are actually better together and we need each other. And real joy and fulfillment is found in using our God-given resources for eternal purposes. Now, it's not just serving in church. That's a great idea to start there, to be involved in that. But it's using those gifts you've discovered in the everyday. And life is really, your fulfillment in life is really found by giving your life away to others' generosity. Just pick up an anchoring thought out of the journey of the early church in Acts. And they were facing severe persecution and were forbidden to preach in the name of Jesus. And instead of praying that God would give them a safe place to hide, they have this prayer meeting and they actually pray for greater boldness. Listen to a little bit of the prayer meeting that was recorded. Acts 4 and verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And I think that's one of the things we should be praying. God, demonstrate your miraculous power through my life and into the lives of others in little things, big things, whatever it is, that expectation. And God, would you reach out your hand supernaturally into our circumstances? <coughs> and after they prayed, where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. And it's interesting what follows immediately after that. So you see this church under severe pressure, these people under severe persecution. And we face different challenges. I'm thankful that at this stage in our lives, we don't face that kind of persecution. 
But there's other pressures where our hearts ache for solutions, whether it's a healing situation in your life, a difficult work situation, relational issues, under financial pressure. And there's just this aching, God, would you do something? And I think the Lord wants to amaze us so we can amaze the world, that we can celebrate and say, God did this in my life and people prayed with me and for me and this is what happened. Wherever you are in your growth in Christ, there's a step for you to take today. And I really want to challenge every single one of us here in the auditorium and our online campus. What is your next step in your growth in following Jesus? And so we see this church having this prayer meeting, the, the, the place being shaken, them filled with the Holy Spirit. And the next statement is, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that anything, uh, any of the things belonged to his, sorry, let me read that again. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, don't worry, we're not going to become communists this morning. Relax. But, but I want you to see in response to the need there, where they're under persecution, where people's homes are being confiscated and businesses was being shut down because they followed Jesus. This is gathering together. This is connecting better together. And they begin to solve it out of an incredible spirit of generosity. Four things demonstrated their loyalty to Jesus and to other disciples of Jesus. All you know is they were of one heart. There was a real connection of the innermost being to the purpose of God and to each other. They were one soul and the soul refers to your mind, will and emotions. There was actually an emotional engagement with each other. So there's this heart thing, there's this soul thing. <clears throat> and they fell under one blessing is the third thing. And it came out because they were connected out of a deep conviction about what it meant to follow Jesus and to be his disciple. I love that. They were fully engaged heart and soul. And I want to challenge every single one of us to just think, what's my engagement like? And this is not so you can feel guilty and get condemned and beat yourself up. That's never God's purpose and it's certainly not my intent. But if the Holy Spirit stirs something and say, you, you need to really re-engage. You need to stir up something in your heart and soul as you connect to the purpose of God and to the people of God. They were spirit-filled, empowered, and overflowing with this unrestrained generosity to help each other. And like I said, they were facing a particular need and they responded to that particular need. But the thing that marked them was this extravagant generosity. And so we're going to talk about it and I'm going to drop into an Old Testament story and talk about what is referred to as the Rebecca principle. But it's all about a spirit of generosity. And the topic of generosity covers so many pages in the Bible. In the New Testament alone, 15% of the Gospels speak to the spirit of generosity. 50% of Jesus' parables deal with the stewardship of things and how we engage with them in terms of others. So let's go to the Rebecca principle. 
Abraham, Isaac, Abraham and Sarah have finally had their miracle son, the promised son, Isaac. And he's now grown up and it's time for him to get married. There's a few young men here. Let me just stir you up in the Lord. It's time for you to leave home and get married. And all the mothers said, Amen, there you go. <laughs> and all the young ladies said, about time. <laughs> and so he's an adult and uh, Abraham doesn't want him to marry from the locals who are pagans, but from the, the, the kind of covenant household that Abraham comes from. And he's got family a long way away. So he sends his servant, Eliezer, on a long journey with 10 camels. And listen to this, young man, a lot of jewellery. That, that always is an attractive thing, but we, we won't get too stereotypical here, will we? And he finally gets to the town, the village, where Abraham's connected family is. And he prays, God, how am I going to find the right person for Isaac. That's my mission. That's what I've been commissioned to do. So he does what we all should do when faced with a challenge. Then he prayed. And he said, may it be that when I say to a young woman and the woman were coming to the well, he's standing in the well to get water for their household. When I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. I want you to get hold of that. I'll water your camels too. I'll give you something to drink. That's all you asked for. But I'm going to be generous in my response. The Rebecca principle. And it says, when, if she says, drink and I'll, and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one that you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I know that you have shown kindness to my master, referring to Abraham. And before he had finished praying, Rebecca comes out with a jar, a water jar, to draw water from the well on her shoulder. And the servant, we read on in Genesis 24, hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. And she says, drink my Lord, not who are you, what are you putting this thing on me for? How inconvenient. There's this incredible generous response instantly. She says, drink my Lord. And she quickly lowered the jar uh, to her hands and gave him to drink. And after she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. And in our modern world, we can kind of slip past that. We can get, oh, that's pretty cool, you know, the camels. Now, remember, he's got 10 camels. They've just crossed a desert. And doing a little bit of research on this, her jar would have carried about 20 litres of water. Camels could each drink after a journey like they'd been on about 80 litres of water. So she is going to go to the well, lower her uh, container down, her jaw down, pull it back up, go across to the 10 camels, one after the other, 20 litres at a time, over 800 litres of water. I reckon this girl had some guns. I reckon she had, she would have been a match for some people. But her generosity and they estimate that process would have taken at least two hours. Now, I want you to notice, all she was asked was, could I have a drink of water? 
She could have said, listen, I've just filled this up for my own household. And I want you to notice she was already serving in her own household. She could have said, no, I, I, I need to get back. I've got stuff to do. I've got other chores. No, she said, you can have that. But then I will take another two hours and a lot of effort to give your camels to drink. It's going above and beyond what she's asked her. That's the spirit of generosity. That's the Rebecca principle. And there's a few key things that are worth noting in this concept. It is number one, don't keep count. Now I have no inside knowledge as to exactly what she did, but the amount of time she walked back and forward to the well, lowered the jar down, pulled it up, walked back. But I doubt she kept going one, two, three, and then end up around 80 or more trips and going, now I'm owed something for the 80 trips that I've done. And our generosity towards others should never be, well, I've done this, now what are you going to do? It should be this Rebecca principle. I just did it because I wanted to, because I could. I just did it. It's above and beyond. Because the minute you start counting and working out what other people owe you and how you think they should respond, whether it's a group of people or an individual, you actually get into a spirit of legalism. You move out of grace into, I earned this, I deserve something, I deserve a response. And that's what's so extraordinary about the generosity of forgiveness, where Jesus says up to 70 times seven, by the time you've done it that often, you've lost count and it's now just an instinctive thing to forgive. Forgiveness is challenging, let's be honest about it. You can't count, it's not a spirit I'll give so I can get. Now the reality is you can never outgive God and God sees and responds to that. And again, looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, it says, each one must give as he's decided in your heart. Decided in your heart, not reluctantly, but not under compulsion. I want you to notice that this tension here that you've got to manage something in your heart. And that's why I noted in the generosity of the early church, it was heart and soul. It wasn't just an intellectual thing. And we're not saying don't think about your giving and how you go about it and your generosity, but, but it's heart and soul. And it says, let somebody decide in their heart, don't do it reluctantly or under obligation and don't do it because you guilted into it. He says, manage your heart so that you reflect something of the generosity of the Lord Jesus Christ that you've received and responding to others out of that. Because God loves a cheerful giver, not a, a, a whinging, whining, moaning, look at me, look at how I've been inconvenienced, look how much I do and nobody ever does anything for me. And it, it's not that sometimes you may not feel like that, but God says, deal with your heart. Deal with your heart. Deal with your heart. Because God is generous and He wants us to catch His heart. Again, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So when you decide in your heart and you don't do things out of obligation or duty, but out of a generous spirit, because God loves a cheerful giver, grace gets poured back into your life. That This extraordinary thing that God works with, not legalism, not earning, but grace. God is able to make all grace abound to you. 
so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. And God promises that grace will be poured out into all areas of your life. If you guard your heart, check your attitudes and to the best of your ability with His help, maintain a generous spirit in everything you do. And that means you're going to manage your heart. And this is not just about financial things. The grace that is poured out seeps into all parts of your life. And if you want that, you've got to live that. The second thing that I've already highlighted out of the story is the willingness to go above and beyond. Because God's kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus introduced and demonstrated what it looked like and spoke to it, is referred to as the upside down kingdom. It is countercultural. And that's why earlier on I said one of the most countercultural things, radical things you can do is maintain a commitment to the local church and involvement in the local church. And that includes our online campus, finding ways how you can be involved and be generous in everything you do in that context. It's an upside down culture, an upside down kingdom. It reverses everything that is instinctively in fallen, broken human beings' heart of to get and to maintain and to keep and all the, the things that we get pressured with in our society. Jesus' kingdom is the upside down kingdom. If it's a human reaction to do this, you can almost count. Jesus will say, no, you need to do the opposite. And you'll find that very concept as you read through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it has been said, he says, about this topic, this topic, or this, but I say to you, and he comes up with something that is so countercultural, radical. And one of the things is that under Roman occupation, any soldier could walk up to you and force you to carry his bags or equipment for what is about one mile. So quite a significant length. You could be on an errand, you could be travelling somewhere and they say, no, come and carry this. Simon of Cyrene was pulled out of the crowd to carry the cross of Jesus under that kind of compulsion of the Roman law. And clearly people hated it. The Jews hated that thing that they could be disrupted and pulled aside and demand and ordered to do something to support an occupying power as Rome was at that time. So what does Jesus say to do? Resist it? Does He say, ignore it? Maybe at the risk of a beating or your life even. Now He says this, if anyone <coughs> forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So when you've reached the mile and the soldier says, I can put it, nah, it's all good. I have to go another mile. And you see how radical is it? Whoa. Nobody else wants to do this. Why are you doing this? Well, because Jesus is my Lord and He was generous and I'm happy to be generous to you. Jesus says, do the right thing, but then He says, go beyond. Don't just do what you have to. Do something extra when you can. Go beyond what is required or asked of you. I love something that Zig Ziglar said. Some of you don't know who he is, but was a Christian motivational speaker and has got some great sayings. He says, there's no traffic jams on the extra mile. 
And I thought, gee, that's challenging. There's no traffic jams on the extra mile because there's not a lot of people who are willing to go the extra mile. The crowd thins out. And I reckon, what a radical thing is all of us as church say, no, we're going to be the people of the extra mile. Well, what kind of impact would that have in your workplace or other relationships or other situations? Rebecca comes to the well. She's already serving her household, but she's willing to serve a complete and utter stranger. And not just a little bit, not just the drink of water for him, but the radical above and beyond watering 10 camels. And he has a principle It's called the little big kingdom principle. Jesus says, and he repeats this concept over and over again. Luke 16, 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Be faithful in the little. You may have a stir in your heart for something much bigger. But Jesus, you want to get there? You start with being faithful in the little, in what you can do and grow in that. And there's the grace poured out that opens other opportunities. So don't keep count, don't get into a legalistic attitude around generosity. Be willing to go the extra mile above and beyond, but but also be inspired by the fact that you are earning eternal reward. And, And we get a bit nervous about this. Like, but Jesus often spoke about eternal rewards. And we shouldn't be ashamed. It's not like, well, that's the only reason I'm doing it because I want my turn. You kind of lose it when you do it with the wrong attitude. But he says, he's inspired. What you sow here, you may not always reap immediately in your life, but in eternity, your heavenly Father who sees this will reward you for what you're doing here. Eternal rewards. And we can't take what we earn here with us. We can only send stuff ahead. First Timothy 6, 7 says, for we brought nothing into the world and you can take nothing out of it. I mean, you think of all the, the pharaohs and other um, monarchs down through the century who are buried with great treasure. The only way it went missing was when grave robbers got into it and took it. It didn't go with them into eternity. And we can't take our stuff with us. But what we can do is in our serving of others with a generous spirit, shore up an eternal reward. And greed is the assumption, the assumption that everything that comes to me is for me and for my consumption. Whereas a generous spirit says, now God has blessed me. Now, how can I be a blessing to others? And we're not just talking about finance here. We're talking about time, the use of your gifts, the willingness to serve, the willingness to volunteer in different situations. That's generosity. The willingness to speak words of encouragement and just thank people for what they do for you. All of that comes out of a generous spirit. And generosity is the only thing that actually challenges the spirit of greed, the spirit of mammon, as it's called in the Bible. That this whole thing that I need to gather everything for myself. And generosity makes an enormous difference in God's economy. Matthew 6 verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy. Some translations say rust. I like the vermin. But 
where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is going to do the very thing. You may not get rewarded here, but your heavenly Father's got a reward waiting for you in eternity. And so, but we don't want to keep count, get a legalistically attitude towards things, have a spirit of going above and beyond, understand that there's an eternal consequence to what we do. But the other thing is, I want to make a difference. I, I, I don't think there's anybody with a sane mind who goes, oh, I just want to bludge my whole way through life. Not, you know, my life counts for nothing. God has put something within us. We want our lives to count. And that's a struggle sometimes. It doesn't always work out as you thought, as you imagined it would when you first got that sense of stirring in your heart and spirit. But you hang on to that. You you persevere with that. God, I want my life to count. I want to make a difference on the planet. I want to make a difference. And even the smallest acts of generosity make a difference. In a sense, and I've actually talked up, and rightly so, what Rebecca did. But if you took it in terms of a perspective of her whole life, it was only water and it was only two hours. But it changed her life and she got dropped into the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah's um, lineage, because of her generous spirit. And who knows, who knows if she had said no, that there wasn't another young lady who came to the well that day who said, yeah, I'll water the camels also. But she was the one, she responded. And like I said, what she did was significant in going above and beyond. But in the scale of her whole life, it was only water and it was only two hours. If anyone, Jesus says, gives a cup of cold water to these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell that person will certainly not lose their reward. Thank you for the cup of water. Just got a reward. And again, notice Jesus talks about being rewarded for even the little acts of kindness that we do one towards another. And the final thing is that generosity is an action. It's something you do. It's not just something you think. So we don't keep count. We don't get into legalism. We always seek to do the little bit extra that we can for someone, even if it's just that I did that thing, but I did it with a better attitude and I was more engaging with the person. That we're doing this and there's eternal rewards and that our lives in the little things make a difference in other people's lives. But generosity is an action. And often I think sometimes we get caught up in the thinking of it and the devil is more than happy to let you think and think and think and ponder as much as you want, as long as you don't do anything. But you've got to actually do something to demonstrate kingdom generosity, the Rebecca principle. 
In 2 Corinthians 8, and Paul is actually taking up an offering uh, for um, famine relief in other parts of the, the, the Roman Empire at that time where Christians were suffering. And he says to the Corinthians, now finish the work. He says, you started this thing, but you kind of lag in behind. And all his writing is to inspire them, but it's also to challenge them. Hey guys, you started, now finish the work. And he says, it's not actually about how much you give, it's about the willingness to give. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Now, let me put that in a really practical. You know what I think sometimes stops us from doing the little things or starting small? Is somehow there's this whisper in our head, oh, it'll make no difference. Nobody will notice. Nobody will care. And it's no biggie. But it's the little things. Jesus said, one cup of water to one of my people and you've got a reward. It's the little things. Yeah, I could do that. It's not a big thing. It's not everybody, oh, what massive thing. No, no, it's the little things. The little act of kindness, the little words of encouragement, the card that's written, the phone call that's made, the text message that's sent to encourage somebody who you may not have seen or just God puts them on your heart. It's dropping that meal off. It's thanking the, the, the waiter for their service. It's asking, is there, uh, two of the questions I love asking and I'll make sure that I never take people away from what they need to do. Don't want to get them into trouble just because I'm trying to be a Christian. You know, that's not going to help them. But ask them the question, what's your dream? Or is this something I could pray for you for? And it's amazing the responses I've got from that. And then things that have followed up in other conversations, if I go back to that restaurant or hotel or whatever the case may be. But you've got to start with saying, I've got a willingness to start small. I'll do something and I'll do it as often as I can and wherever I can do it because I want to make a difference. I want to put my generosity into action. You see, generosity is not an event. The Rebecca principle of generosity is not an event. It's a lifestyle. We all have something to give. We can give up our time, our talent, our treasure and set it aside as, God, this is my tithe. It's holy unto you. Because that's what the Bible says. The tithe is holy unto the Lord. And it's our beginning point in generosity. But a, a touch of encouragement, a smile, thanks, praying for somebody, all of those things. Because Paul says in Acts chapter 20, as he speaks to the elders at Ephesus, and he's commissioned them with a whole lot of things, reminding them about some core things. He says, you should remember. In other words, don't ever forget the words of our Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I wonder if you would just kind of say that with me. And if you're in the online campus, come on, say it as well, engage. Just let's read that out together, the scriptures on the screen. One, two, three. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Can we do that one more time? 
You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So I just draw this to a close. God's generosity towards us is extraordinary. A little bit later in the book of Acts, Acts 15 and verse 11, it says, don't we believe that we are saved because the Master Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved to save us. Now I'm reading out of the message, a paraphrase, but the essence of the verse is there no matter what translation you read it in. Just listen to those words. Don't we believe that we are saved because the Master Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved to save us. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave. He didn't just love the world and go, there, there, you know, mess and sin has damaged you and oh, what a pity. He so loved that He acted. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Don't we believe that we are saved because the Master Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved to save us? 